my gosh, it's time for a Simmer and Gabby podcast. Rob Simpson from VancouverHockeyInsider.com. And of course, the illustrious, the immortal Bruce Boudreaux, coach of many NHL hockey teams, champion at many levels. By the way, last week you ref- referenced the Memorial Cup. Did you win it just the once? No, well, I was lucky enough to win it twice. Twice. I was thinking maybe mm-hmm. you did twice. As a I point. I think, yeah, I think we would have had a good chance of winning it uh, three times, but the WHA came in and took Mark Howe, um, and it took Marty Marty Howe, and it took Tom Edger, and it took Wayne Dillon away from us uh, all in one year. And those would have been four pretty good juniors uh, for that next year. You, to add to a stable of John Tonelli, who was a rookie, and Mark Napier, who was a rookie, um, you know, we would have had quite a good team, I think. This is the Marlies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn. You guys were loaded. Uh, we're doing we're doing 27 minutes this week. It's uh, in honor of number 27s. And I'll let you go first. Pick a number 27. Well, the obvious one is Daryl Sittler. I mean, a captain, uh, a guy that uh, I really uh, grew up or played with and almost idolizing. But I'm going to pick Frank Mahovlich because when I was a kid, he was my hero. I mean, uh, when I was seven, eight, nine, you know, years old, when he was playing with the Leafs um, and we would, you know, catch few games on TV, but I mean, uh, many, many games on the radio. He was the big M, the guy that scored all the goals. I, I still remember to this day in 67 when he got traded to Detroit that I uh, wrote in every one of my um textbooks at school i'll never like the leafs again i'll never like the leafs again <laughs> on all the pages like how uh how we change our tunes after a while oh yeah i remember watching him when he was with detroit i was probably about six years old and i ran into him i was doing a tv shoot for leafs tv in the palm desert going to jimmy pappen's house and we finished the interview and jim pappen goes oh you should pop by the golf course with us later because uh peter and frank mahavitz are here today i'm like serendipity one one stop shopping so we we talked to the big m and peter who's hysterical and then i ran frank frank before the hall of fame induction last year was just shooting the breeze with him for about 20 minutes i'm like you know just hanging out with the senator he's he's quiet but he's a delightful guy to speak to and obviously a legend uh i'm gonna go with scotty niedemeyer for my number 27 not a bad choice you had him as assistant coach tell me about that experience with anaheim after he got done playing well, Scott is one of the, the best people you're ever going to meet and uh, loyal and as the day is long. And uh, you take uh, I'm taking away his hockey ability, but as as a as a soft spoken coach, it was like when when he he was very cerebral. He didn't talk a lot, but when he talked, it meant something and you would definitely listen. I mean, matter of fact, when it came time in Minnesota um, to look for a coach, I mean, it's funny, the the Scotty thing. I mean, uh, he told me to phone um, – uh, uh, who did he, he tell me to, to phone? Uh, Scotty, what's his name? I'm losing my mind here. The last name, uh, his defense partner in Jersey. Uh, Stevens. Scott Stevens, yeah. Who you did hire. Was, yeah, who I did hire, who I was getting, who I wanted to get uh, – uh, he said he wanted to get back into hockey type thing. So that was great. And then it, uh, it was funny as um, we would, as luck would have it. I mean, 
when I was first going for the uh, Vancouver job uh, that uh, he had talked to me. I had talked to him that he might want to get back into into coaching and he would be interested if if I ended up getting a job. As it turned out, when when I did um, get the Vancouver job and I Scott was the first person I talked to, mm. uh, he had just gotten a promotion from Anaheim where he could still live in B.C., and do the job. And uh, so he said he'd much rather do that. His always problem was he's so involved with his kids and the family that coaching is so time consuming. But um, uh, a guy, uh, a guy that you could respect so much. And uh, I mean, every player listened to him. I mean, he had a profound effect, I'm sure, on Hampus Lindholm and, and uh, Cam Fowler. Uh, I mean, these young guys, Josh Manson, uh, all, all had, you know, they've all got, uh, Scotty Niedermeyer's, uh, fingerprints all over them. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable player, obviously as well. Uh, three cups in Jersey. You mentioned him playing in Jersey, he won the cup in 07 under Randy Carlisle with the Anaheim Ducks, a member of the triple gold club, which is a Stanley cup, a world championship gold and an Olympic gold medal. He was a Conn Smythe winner and Norris trophy winner, you know, just an unbelievable player. I think he actually won a, uh, Memorial cup, uh, in 91 with Canada as well. He basically won everywhere he went. I mean, mm. everything he touched, he was an unbelievable skater. And as you mentioned, a BC guy, um, he was born in Edmonton, but immediately almost moved to BC. His brother, Rob, was born in BC. They, they were raised in what is now a ghost town in extreme northern interior of British Columbia. It's not even a town anymore. It was a mining town. And, oh, I didn't know that. Mm. Yeah, it's incredible, the, the background. But anyway, that's uh, Scotty Niedermeyer. So number 27s, we're going 27, and we've eaten almost five minutes of our 27 talking about the boys, So that, but that's okay. Let's talk about D, and let's talk about defensemen that aren't Scott Stevens and uh, Scott Niedermeyer. And I'm going to go to Edmonton first, and this is going to get us into an argument about power plays and versus even strength. So the Darnell Nurse, 9.25 million dollar per season contract through 2930 might be on my in my mind is one of the worst in the national hockey league um they score one goal even strength in two games against vancouver of course they rely on their power play and i mean what does that say to you first of all let's just talk about the fact we were joking last week toronto versus edmonton final how about a toronto versus vancouver final <laughs> the way it's looking right now pretty damn nice start for the canucks the great start by the Canucks, and it uh, to me like uh, not the first game. The first game, I think Edmonton were was re uh, reading all about themselves and how good they were, and they just didn't show up. And you knew that with the starts that Vancouver had had the last few years, where they got into trouble, and if they had had better starts, then I mean, obviously that I think they would have made the playoffs the last two years. But um, uh, so they were ready and. Uh, Edmonton was too busy reading about their press clippings and uh, and they and and then the score obviously was eight to one. The second game, Edmonton, you knew would be ready and they were ready. And that's, you know, they outshot them 41, 16 or some silly number like that. I don't know if it's, that's quite 36, accurate. 36, 16, 37, 38, 16. Yep. Yeah. Something like that. I think you made 38 saves. Okay. But I think uh, yeah, he had 40, 40 shots or something. So, I mean, now Edmonton was more uh, of Edmonton. But, again, they've always just relied on the power play. When we we had them in the first game last year, we had a 3 nothing lead. And then 
their power play came out and um, uh, they scored a goal and then they scored another power play goal and then they scored a four on four goal. Their special teams was was tremendous and and that's what they rely on. And that's why I keep saying if if um, uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl have to play 25 minutes plus every night, then they're not going to be successful because I think their goaltending and their defense is is suspect. It is suspect, and and we saw it under pressure against Vancouver in that second game, and and they plugged in some guys that have worked out. Obviously, Casey DeSmith making all the saves that you mentioned, but Sam Lafferty is a speedy, physical, power to hard to the net guy who does exactly that with the game winning goal. So that that's a pretty nice grab. Yeah, oh no, it was a great grab. I mean, we tried to we wanted him last the year previous year, but that wasn't going to happen. Um, but they got him this year, and that's a good move for them. Yeah. Um, flip real quick for us, and we'll get back to the power play versus even strength here in a second as my dog is barking. But um, talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs, and are they similar to Edmonton, Edmonton in that regard? A bit deeper, but they still rely on special teams. Well, I mean, I think they don't rely on them as much because they are deeper. I mean, they do have a better concept of – of playing defense. I think they were fifth in the league in defense last year, something, something of that nature. Um, but they do had the, they had the second best power play in the league last year. And uh, by everybody's standards, Austin Matthews had an off year. Well, he's got, he's not having an off year start. I can tell you that he's got uh, six goals in the first two games. It took him 12 games to get six goals last year. So if he's scoring three goals a game, um, you, you know, you, the rest of the team is going to chip in for one or two, and that's going to be more than enough. I'm a little uh, don't like the fact that the Leafs have given up uh, right now 10 goals in two games. But if you can give up 10 goals in two games and win both of them, and you can correct your your faults, your, your way ahead of the game, because most teams can't overcome those things. Is there is there a ratio of kind of like not as solid D in goaltending compared to their outstanding offensive abilities similar to Edmonton. I mean, absolutely. The first two lines are so dynamic with both of those teams and it falls off after that. And uh, um, I just, uh, especially when Nugent Hopkins has moved up to the second line. Uh, but I mean, it's, uh, uh, I think that's where the difference is. I mean, uh, Samsonoff, I think is, is proven that he can do the job. Skinner had a really good first half of the year. Campbell, the reason he's not in Toronto is because they didn't think he was good enough to keep there in Toronto. So uh, I give the edge to the Leafs in goal and the edge uh, to the Leafs on defense. And and the top six forwards are both teams are, are as elite as you can get in the NHL. Um, as an NHL head coach, uh, Gabby, did, did, um, did you ever get immediate buy-in and then did you can you think of an example where it took a while to get buy-in? Because for me, half the battle for a coach is to get everybody on the same page and buying in. And obviously that can take time as you transition into a new job. But is, is there examples of like, boom, you just kind of had that chemistry and camaraderie and commitment and other times where it was like, ooh. Well, I mean, um, in Vancouver, I mean, we started out 7-0. and So the buy-in was was right there. I think we seven zero and one. We lost in the shootout to in game eight to L.A. But um, 
in Washington, it was instant buy-in. We were in last place when we got there. We ended up winning the division. I think it was more difficult in Anaheim because I didn't know any of the players. I had no history with anybody um, except for George Peros, and and he didn't play a lot back then. He's a fourth line guy that was in and out of the lineup. But uh, um, uh, it took about two weeks, two and a half weeks to get them totally on page. In Minnesota, it started right out uh, from the get-go. I mean, um, we ended up with 110 points that first year, but I mean, uh, we were <clears throat> we were tied for the President's Trophy League uh, trophy up to March, and then once the trade deadline hit, we had a really bad March. But I mean, other than that, uh, uh, I've had good buy-ins from from teams, and uh, it's. Uh, and I think it's important that when you do, when you're coaching that, you know, I mean, the reason you're the coach halfway through the year is because they weren't getting the buy-in from the other guy. And um, so they made a change. Now you come in and the players know the onus is now on them. Almost every time you, you look uh, at the papers or the, the media after a coach gets fired and the players will come out and say, well, that was on us. We didn't perform, you know, and those things. So it's, when the new coach comes in, they've got to, they got to do it. Or, I mean, for the most part, it's not going to be the coach that goes right away. It's going to be the players that start to go after that. So um, it's, it's pretty easy when you come in as a secondary coach to get the buy-in because players are looking for something they can believe in the players that aren't playing good or anything. It's, it's like a new start for them. It's like, if I was going to say this in golf terms, it would be like you had a crappy front nine and now you get a chance to, to do better on the back nine type situation. So, I mean, it's a, uh, there's a lot going on there, but I mean, I think the buy-in is, is really important. I'm glad you brought up the golf analogy. Cause I was going to bring this up when we're talking about the Seattle Kraken with John Forslund, and we'll get a little bit more about Forsey here in a few minutes on the power play topic, but, uh, the Seattle Kraken right now are kind of one of those teams. You know your golf game as amateurs, when you're when your short game's going, you're not getting off the tee, or your your drives are good and your golf your putting's good, but you can't hit a fairway iron. That That's right. why we're amateurs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and it's like in hockey, it's like, can you get your power play working at the same time your D's working at the same time you're getting good goaltending? And I think of Seattle right now because Grubauer was excellent the first two games. And um, their new acquisition, uh, Joey, well, not acquisition, the call-up, Joey Decord wins the backup spot. He was incredible in game three. They've scored a grand total of two goals over the course of three hockey games. And and that type of thing is going to happen. How tough is it just to get, you know, like right now, Edmonton obviously is not putting it all together. Uh, obviously, Toronto and Vancouver are. But is that is that kind of a phenomena? Is that a good analogy? Um, you know what, the difference is how you're playing. Like, I mean, the coach and management team can determine, you know, we're just not playing good. Like, I mean, goaltenders holding us in, um, or you could be doing this and playing the right way, doing everything, but you can't score. And that's when you say you stay the course and you eventually get out of it. And I'll give you an example. I mean, and I know it's, it's of one of my teams, but we started off, um, my last year in Anaheim, one, seven and two. And, but we were playing, we got shut out five times or something in the first 10 games, but we were losing one, nothing, two to one. We were playing the right way. We ended up 
in that that year, um, uh, leading the league in power play and penalty killing. And I th- I think the West in um, goals for and goals against. So I mean, you stayed with it, okay? And and it turned around because you kept reinforcing to the players that we're doing the right thing. Eventually it'll turn around and it did. But I mean, there's times if you, if you start and you're getting outshot 41 to 18 and the goalie's keeping you in the game or something, and you look like you're in disarray, it's, it's time to change things up a little bit. And that's when you start worrying a little bit. Yeah. Um, I want to jump back into the whole power play versus even strength, because I, I don't think buy-in is necessarily an issue uh, with Edmonton or Toronto, I think as we've pointed out, they're just so stacked and they're so dangerous with the man advantage. So the central, or not the central, the Champions League in Europe decided to revert back to the 1950s and leave the put the perpetual power play back into place. So in other words, two minute power play, you can score as many times as you can before the guy comes out of the box. Um, they also instituted the uh, if you're shorthanded and you score the penalty comes off the books. It's like a reward. You score shorthanded, guy comes out of the penalty box. Two different issues, two different rules. Let's start with the perpetual two-minute power play. And I want you to listen to what John Forsland, the national broadcaster, play-by-play and also voice of the Seattle Kraken, had to say about that topic. Number one, first of all, I can't stand power play hockey. Okay, I just I just don't like it. Right. it. It all looks the same to me. The yep. teams run the same routes, the same plays. It's just the better players, a la the Edmonton Oilers. Yep. They're going to have a – what do we want them to be, 60 70% in the power play? Isn't 50 or 40 good enough? I mean, 1956, summer of 56. Yeah. They changed yeah. the rule for this exact reason. The Montreal Canadiens are rolling through power plays. John uh, right. Beliveau had three goals in like 40 seconds on the power play. Right. So right. that summer of 56, they go, okay, enough's enough. You score a goal, the guy comes out of the box. So yeah. why, as you pointed out, why would you go back? Plus, you ruin the game. I, I mean, if, ruin the game. if you score three, ruin the game. on a power play. Because some of the best responses in the game are when you get scored on in the power play. If you're ticked off about the penalty, you're angry. You're ticked off because you got scored on, you're angry. So the next shift, you're, you're throwing out either your top guys or your energy guys and you're going right back at them. What yeah. are we going to do? Stay on it again and then have a cheap way to stretch out a game? And then we have no game? Then yeah. we go from 2 nothing to 4 nothing, right. and the game's over? Yeah. Now they sit on a 4 nothing. That stinks. Yeah. If, if they do that, it's completely wrong. All right. No one will listen to me, but that's ridiculous. Well, they, they should listen. So I, hope it, I hope it shows its flaws. That's yeah. fantastic. They'll stretch out the game. The Oilers can put the game away. Yeah, it's already, it, would, it would suck. It would suck. Yeah. Like you said, 2 nothing becomes 4 nothing. It's like, oh, goody, right. you know, we have to come back for four goals because right. they got a power play. Yeah. Yeah, and I hate, I hate to pick on them because they're an excellent team and they're our neighbors and we're divisional foes and there's bad karma if you say things. But they they live off the power plays proven until proven otherwise with a with a, with a average defense and average goaltending. Oh. But they can be an elite team because of that. So now they're going to – if you give them that opportunity – it feeds a lion. I, I don't like it. So a pretty passionate appeal from uh, John Forsland, who we have a Simmer and For- Forsland uh, podcast for the Seattle market. But we also talk a lot about the entire NHL. Uh, that's SeattleHockeyInsider.com. But pretty passionate about 
why would you let a hockey team dominate in one element of that's not five on five it's not real hockey when they're maybe mediocre in other areas and he brings up the fact that last year edmonton's d, d again and goaltending was like eh, and you're they're winning hockey games on the power play pretty frustrating if uh, uh i agree with john too i mean you can't do that. There's a reason they changed the the rule in the 50s when Montreal had those powerhouse teams that won four cups in a row. I mean, they could score two and three goals on the power play, games out of reach all of a sudden. So I just imagine when I'm listening to that, that you take a ticky-tack little hooking penalty or a slashing penalty in the neutral zone or anything, and a team gets three goals on you, and that little penalty costs you the game because it's – too difficult to come back for the most part. So, I mean, I think the, the, you know, the reward, the power play is a reward for another guy taking a penalty and the reward is scoring a goal. That's the reward. It's not scoring three goals. The, the reward is scoring um, one, one goal. And I mean, if the, if the penalty is so severe that it's a five minute major, then they say, okay, yeah, you want to be stupid. Then you can, uh, sit there and take as many goals as you want. So, I mean, I think the reward system there is is great. Um, as far as the third portion of that question, I mean, I think it would be interesting. I don't know if it would work. I mean, but I mean, the concept of you sc- if you score a shorthanded goal, especially when you think of how many shorthanded goals are scored in the league uh, per you know per year per team, that uh, uh, the power play would be wiped out. I think that's that's interesting because you know every time you got behind a goal instead of putting out your best defenders you might put out your best offensive guys to try to score the goal so a goal is going to be scored one way or another usually um you put out your best players offensively they're usually not your best players defensively and not willing to block shots and do all of those things so that would be interesting to to see and it would be a good reward for the shorthanded team to, if they scored, they also wipe out that the power play. But I mean, the first portion of the, of that uh, question is definitely a no, no to me. I hope they, uh, uh, they don't even think about it. And like my good friend, John Forslund said, he was passionate. I thought he was going to come outside the the microphone there and start yelling (laughs) because you know what? I John first started with me, eh? Like, I mean, in 1986, we were in Springfield together, and our team couldn't score a goal in the power play if our life was on uh, <laughs> on life support. But I mean, it. Uh, uh, he's a great guy, and I really uh, think he knows his hockey too. So, uh, oh, yeah. I agree with him. Yeah, he knows his stuff. In fact, before uh, last time we chatted, right before the season, he said the Kraken were going to have trouble scoring. Well, here we are. Uh, three games into the season, they've scored. Well, if you look at their short scoring shooting percentage from last year, it was way above expected, and yeah. that is not a trend you want to continue with, and or you that very yeah. rarely can you continue with this. So, I mean, I think what are they o two and one now uh, to start three? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's 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 an uphill climb. I mean, it's it's not hard to do, but I mean, it's always you want to get above the the 500 mark as quick as you can uh, to give yourselves a little bit of uh, safety net in case you do, everybody's going to have those four game losing streaks and, and uh, you don't want to do it when you're under 500. Yeah. 
well, they'll they'll stick to the game plan for now as they come home with their season opener this week on Tuesday night. But uh, yeah, Johnny's uh, Johnny's great. He's he's got things nailed down. I want to bring up just for the benefit of everybody, um, Canadian teams are improved. Calgary remains a little bit of a mystery, but we're just underway. Vancouver's coming out gangbusters. Um, Edmonton's Edmonton. Toronto's we talked about. What's what's with these Ottawa Senators right now? I don't know. I've watched both their games. Um uh they jumped in you know the first game they jumped out to the lead and couldn't hold on uh the other night uh or yesterday i mean i thought they they played well and they did win but i mean they didn't win anywhere near as convincing as i thought they would um but uh uh i really like their team especially if they get the uh norris and um the other the, the holdout guy uh back uh um, if they get those two guys back, then that solidifies their center ice position. I mean, uh, Chikrin was minus three his first game, and that was the biggest thing I was worried about was his his defensive play. But he answers it with two goals yesterday in the first period. He's got a heck of a shot. I mean, their defense is as mobile as anybody's. And uh, if they can get the goaltending, I think they'll be there for them. Uh, I think Montreal's still a work in progress. I thought they were um good but against chicago who's you know on the third game of their road trip and to start with and i mean uh, until it settles in everything they do is about bedard anyway it uh, has nothing to really do with chicago um but montreal won last night but i I thought they looked really bad in the second and third period against toronto um on opening game but again that's first game jitters and everything else um, but I don't think in the tough Atlantic division that they will be a factor come March. That's my guess. I, you know, I, I think it's always better when Montreal's in it. So I hope they are in it, but I don't think they will be in it. That's just my opinion. Uh, I thought Winnipeg has looked really good both games. They lost in Calgary, but I, I thought they thoroughly outplayed Calgary. And they they, they beat a tough Florida team that the coming off an, uh, a loss in Minnesota, but they had over 40 shots on, on many. And, and I thought uh, Winnipeg dominated. So I, th- I think it's like a load off their shoulders. Like, I mean, uh, from everything that was transpiring last year, from uh, the beginning of the year on, as far as how the room was, who the leadership was, who, what about this contract and that contract? I think everything is settled. And when you look at their, their lineup, I think they got a pretty good team. And they're they're going to be tough to beat. Um, I do th- I always thought Calgary was a better team than they showed last year, and uh, I think they will they will be there in the end. Um, and you know Edmonton is Edmonton. They they will find a way to all of a sudden win fifteen out of twenty, and I think their power play will carry them a lot. Or or when McDavid gets his role going, you know, and starts getting three and four points a game, um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Vancouver, you know, I mean, they've got a great start and there's no doubt. I mean, uh, if they can get, keep getting the goaltending like that and it's the key to anything. I mean, I don't care how good your team is. If you can get really good goaltending and Vancouver got it the first two games. And I mean, I thought it was a great ploy to, um, play to Smith yesterday. Um, let him get right into the action and in a really tough building knowing that they would be coming out and uh, playing him. And now they go into Philly and 
you know, with the the potential of having a a three zero start. So good for Vancouver. Oh, by the way, Winnipeg, it was the room, a lot of it. I, I took little jabs at that in articles over the last two years, having some conversations with insiders in Winnipeg. And the, to move on, Blake Wheeler was a step. And now all of a sudden here they have Shifley and Hellebuck re-signed. So great news for the folks in the peg. Um, we're going to hear that sound. That is our uh, final buzzer, which tells us, believe it or not, Gabby, we have blown through our Frank Mahovlich, Scott Meenemeyer, 27 minutes, but here's our parting shot. And it's not necessarily, well, it's not a happy one. And I've written about it on, on uh, VancouverHockeyInsider.com uh, as part of the Simmer Sunday 9. And that is Barry Melrose, who happened to be your number 26 a week or two ago. He steps aside from television with the Parkinson's uh, diagnosis and I know Barry pretty well from going to his house and doing a profile of him years ago uh, tough business yeah I mean the one thing I do know about Barry he's a fighter yep. and Steve Ludzik has Parkinson's as well and they're both fighters and they, they will continue to 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 fight the good fight and I I hope Barry uh, relaxes and doesn't need the stress of, of work now um, and and he will live a long and long life from now on. But one of the best men I ever met, um, especially early on in my career. I mean, you ever see that? Um, what what kind of cartoon it is where you got the little dog and the big dog, and he goes, "He's my buddy. He's my buddy." That was with me and Barry. <laughs> I was always this little guy that he would slap around and make jokes about, but nobody came near me or Barry would protect me. And uh, uh, that was that was when we first started out together, and I'll never forget him. I mean, he's a wise man beyond his years. He um, he's as funny as they can get. There's yeah. nobody funnier. And he's got the the best laugh in the world. So I mean, I hope he gets the chance to to do that laugh much more before you know. I mean, um, I just hope he gets to do it a lot more. Yeah, I think he will. I think he will. I think that was the old George is my friend. George is my yeah. friend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. All the best to Barry uh, and his family. And uh, that's it. Simmer and Gabby. We got a boogie. Uh, Gabby, outstanding as always. It goes by awfully fast because, man, we, we could have gone uh, double with some of these topics, but we're good. We'll save them for next week, and we look forward to uh, seeing you and enjoy all the hockey action. All right. Sounds good. Mm -hmm.